I know, right? Uh, Miller Lite commercial. <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite Miller Lite commercials. Um, there's a guy, he takes his wife out on a picnic, and he is adoring the new Miller Lite beer. And he, his wife asks him, why do you love that beer so much? And he starts to talk about the new can and the new logo and the taste and all this other stuff. And so the camera zooms back in on her and, it, and she asks a question to him. Well, since you love the beer so much, well, why do you why do you love me? And at that point, he freezes and he cannot articulate why he loves his wife. And then he flips it on her and says, well, why do you love me? And she gives this long and beautiful response to why she loves her husband. And then the commercial kind of sails off into the sunset. But I think they're tapping into something that's partly true for all of us, that it's easy to articulate why we love things. And if we're honest, it's, it's harder to articulate why we love people. Um, and you see this sort of flushed out in several different ways. I mean, if you're a techie, then you can know all the techs and specs of the new iPhone. You can know how many megapixels are going to be on the camera. You can know how fast the processor is. Then your girlfriend wears new lipstick and you didn't even notice it, right? It happens across the board. Here's a question I want to put before us all today. Uh, Not necessarily why do you love a person, but why do you love Jesus? What makes him appealing? What makes him worth worshiping? What makes him beautiful? We could probably talk about a different, a hundred other things, but if it gets right down to the hero of Scripture, why do you love him? That's what I want to unpack for us tonight. I want us to leave with three ideas about why I think the hero of Scripture is beautiful. And if we're going to read the Bible rightly, the Bible says that it's not that we loved him first, but that he loves us And so we're going to dig into the love of Christ, the love of our Savior. So pray with me, and then I'll read uh, John 13. Father in heaven, we have prayed and we have praised, but we do ask now that as your word is read, that it would come alive, that it would be blessed, that you would set it apart as holy in our hearts that you would shower us with songs of praise, that those who might not know you would walk away from here enamored by the beauty of Christ, that those of us who do know you would leave out of here loving him even more. That's our prayer and that's our hope for Christ's sake. Amen. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 13 and I'll read 1 through 19. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to return to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end. And during the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, 
What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, well, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed not, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put out on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Amen. If you were to ask the average person, what would you do if you knew you had one day to live, you would probably get a wide array of responses. Some people may want to travel to a sweet place. Some people may want to eat a five-course meal. Some people may want to get this last little thing in before they leave. Consider this, that Jesus is about to die. And what he chooses to do during the final hours of his earthly life is to be in a room with his friends and to wash their feet. I mean, think about that image of all the other things that he could have done with his life. He chose to spend his final hours serving his friends. And that's why John is mesmerized when he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end, until his life expired. He was loving his people. What I want to do this afternoon or this evening is sort of unpack this love. And the case that I want to make to you is Jesus loves you. And he takes great delight in you. And he knows you. And he knows your weaknesses. And he knows your struggles. He knows your temper. He knows your lust. He knows your desire for appreciation. He knows your idols. And he still says, I love you. And I desire you. What I want to do is unpack what makes this love so precious. The first thing we see about the love of Christ is that it loves, it's a love that serves and cleans. Consider this, that G John says that all things have been given into the hands of Christ. And this isn't the first time he says something like this. He actually says this at the beginning of his gospel when he talks about all things were created 
for him and by him, and there was not anything made that wasn't made by Christ. And so you get this beautiful beginning and ending that in John's mind, the one who created all things, this highly and high and lifted and exalted one, is this very same one near the ending of his life who is stooping down and washing feet. That the Father has put redemption into his hands that the reputation of the Father is in his hands, that the fulfillment of all the promises from the Old Testament, they, 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 they are in the hands of Christ, that all of the promises that God had made to the prophets and to Moses and to all of the people in the Old Testament, they all are resting in the hands of Christ. And what does John say that Jesus does with those hands in this text? that he pulls aside his outer garment in verse four, that he takes a towel and he wraps a towel around his waist in verse four, that he goes and gets a water basin in verse five. He did this. The disciples did nothing. They were watching this and that he began to wash the disciples' feet. This is the king of glory on his knees during his final hours on earth washing and serving and cleansing. And Peter sees this and Peter says, no way, Lord, this is not what you're supposed to be doing, that you are not the servant. We are the servants and you are the master. This is a job for the servants. And Jesus says, stop, Peter, that if your master does not wash you, you cannot be clean and you do not have share with me. And so Peter says, well, come on, Lord, wash my whole body. And Jesus says, it is not about the amount of water that's important here. The importance lies in the identity of the one doing the washing. And if I wash you, and if I wash your feet, you are clean. And then John says that after he washes their feet, he takes the towel that is wrapped around him and he dries their feet as if to say this that this dirt that is on their feet, he will wipe. And that towel is tied to him. And so he is removing that dirt from them. And now it is identified with him. This dirt is literally on Christ. And John says that this is your savior in his final moments of life. Look at him. He is serving He is cleansing. And the way to read this is not, wow, look at what he did for them. The right way to read it is what a beautiful Savior we have who would do that for me. The right way to look at this is not just as an isolated event. It's to to look at it like an appetizer to the main course. If you've gone to a really fancy restaurant, then you know what appetizers do. They whet your appetite for the main course. And the chef might use the same meats. He might use the same seasonings. But the real course is coming later. And that's what's happening in this text, that there is this today and tomorrow imagery happening, that today, right here, right now, at this meal, the one eating and drinking with his disciples, tomorrow that same one will say, I thirst. 
The one who is taking his garments off today with his own hands tomorrow will have his garments ripped off of him in the crowd of angry men. The one who is pouring water on their feet today to wash them will pour out his own blood tomorrow on a cross to cleanse them, not from dirt on their feet from a road in Palestine, but from the sin and murk and guilt in their life. He will wash them with their own blood. And the one who is using a towel today to wipe them will wipe them clean with his own body on the cross tomorrow. It's a precursor to the cross. I will wash you. I will cleanse you. And my hands, my body, I have to do it because you cannot clean yourself. When I was 11 years old, I did a science fair project, and I chose to do one on the best dishwashing detergent. And I know y'all were born in what, 96? When were y'all born? 96. 96? Okay. Man, I graduated high school in 96, so that's, so y'all weren't born yet, not yet. But I, man, I, I did a science fair project because there was the Exxon Valdez oil spill. And some of us who are older, I'm, I'm 38, so some of us who are around that age, and we, we remember what happened, that there was this tragic oil spill, and it just, it, it destroyed, like, wildlife. And there was, I mean, they were raising money, and, and one of the images that got me were, was, like, these little ducks, and they were just, like, covered in oil. And they could, I mean, they were dying, and they had to have conservationists kind of reach in and take them out of the oil and take them back to their own lab. And then they bathed them with dishwashing detergent and they just washed them and they washed them and they washed them and they washed them. And they were able to save about 80% of them. That's a picture. You have been stained. I have been stained with my own sin, and you have been stained with your own sin, and you need the hands of someone to reach down and to pull you out and to wash you. And this is the way that your Savior loves you. He says, I will wash your sins away, and you will be as white as snow and only my hands can do it. That's how much he loves you. That what he's doing in that room, this mark of humility, it's going to be played out tomorrow on the cross when he gives up his very own life. That's the way he loves you. The type of love that Christ has for you, it is a love that knows and it stays. And this is important. I want you to write that down or just put that right here and keep it there. Think about the way that we love people. Think about how some of you might date. You might not say it, but this is what we do because I was your age at one point, right? If there was a girl I liked, I wanted to put on my best outfit. I wanted to put on some good cologne. I wanted to shave and get my hair cut. I wanted to make sure my teeth were brushed and my nails were clean. I wanted to put the best foot forward, right? 
because I wanted to impress her. And it's the same way for you ladies that, that, that you will do the exact same thing. And, and, and men, we will be gentlemen if it means for three, week, three weeks, if I can get her to like me, I'll open the door, I'll pull her napkin, I'll pull her chair out. Why are we doing all of this stuff? Because we want to put our best foot forward. We want to be liked. And so what we will do is we will start doing all of these things so that we will appear to be what we're really not. So that we can win their affections. Because maybe they might not like us if we forget to clean our nails. Maybe they might not like us if I don't, if I'm not well groomed. Maybe they might not like us if I forget to open the door. And so we're doing all of this putting on in order to perform, in order to find love. It's like a used car salesman. He will tell you everything right with a car, and he will tell you nothing that's wrong with it because he wants you to buy the car. And so we hide We cover up. We're afraid to show who we really are. And that's the way love works in our world. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He sees right through it. Matter of fact, when you read this passage, one of the words that John repeats over and over and over and over is the fact that Jesus knew now, this might not be a big deal, but in Jesus' ministry, there were times when he was asked, hey, Jesus, when is the Father going to bring in the kingdom for Israel? And Jesus says, hey, I don't know, man. That time has been set apart by the Father. I don't know. So Jesus himself admitted that the Son sort of moved in and out of this limited yet eternal sense of knowledge that some things the Father chose to disclose to him and some things the Father says, Son, just trust me. This is not one of those moments in Jesus' ministry where he does not know. He knows every single thing going on in this room. Look at it. Look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart the world. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. Verse 7. Jesus knew that the disciples did not understand, but that they would gain understanding after his resurrection. Look at verse, verse 11. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. Look at verse 17. If you know these things, look at verse 18. I am not speaking to all of you. I know both who I have chosen and the scripture that must be fulfilled. John is clearly communicating. Jesus sees everything. He sees their thought life. He knows what Judas is going to do. He knows what Peter is going to do. He knows that they're going to betray him. He knows every single thing that's going down in this room. He knows that Peter will betray him. Just read the next passage right after our, I mean, look at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. I mean, Jesus knows everything. He knows he's looking at them and is knowing what's in their hearts. 
He knows that Judas is going to betray him. And look at what he says. Look at what he says in verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me right there. Remember last night I told you that every single thing in the Bible finds its fulfillment in Jesus. This is Jesus quoting Psalm 41 that David wrote. And here is what Jesus is saying. David was not just talking about his earthly friend who betrayed him. David didn't know it, but he was writing about Judas who will betray me. And Jesus says, the scripture that David wrote then must be fulfilled. Therefore, there is a man in my crowd right now who will betray me. And Jesus knew exactly who it was. And yet, do you know what Jesus did? He washed Judas's feet. He fed Judas food. He washed Peter and James and John, and he washed them, and he loved them, and he knew 24 hours from now, you all will stray, uh, abandon me. He knew that they didn't love him like he loved them. He knew that they would cave into pressure. He knew that they worshiped comfort. He knew that they, they made an idol out of safety. And yet he says, I will not withhold my affection from you. I will move towards you. Do you believe that tonight? That your Savior is intimately acquainted with all of your struggles and all of your pride and all of your sin, the things that you do not tell your campus minister, the things that you hold inside of your mind and you keep to yourself and you carry and you wonder, will Jesus love me if he knows this? I'm telling you, he knows it and he says, I still love you and I still want you. That's the power of his love. He doesn't love us with worldly love that looks inside and peeks inside and says, because I see that, let me withdraw. He peeks inside and says, come on, bring it on. I'm going to wash that and I'm going to clean that and I'm going to own that with you. My sister has three boys and her oldest boy is named DJ. And when DJ, she was carrying DJ and the doctors saw something in her sonogram that looked strange and so they they told her that she said hey we can do this procedure we can actually go inside and pull some amniotic fluid out and we think we see down syndrome and at that point my you know the doctor is just like hey and and you 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 have an option right you have an option like you 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 don't have to keep the child and so my sister was torn up because She had no idea that you could literally peek inside of what's going on in there before this child is born and you can see what's in there, what would have normally taken nine months before you would birth a child and see. Now with technology, you can go in and you can see the future. And there are women who look into there and they want a boy or they want a girl or they want a perfect child and they're forced with this knowledge of the future of what's going on inside and now it's choice. Do I want to keep my baby? And here's what Jesus says. I look inside of you and I see that you're broken and I want you and you're mine. 
and I want you, and I will keep you, and I will love you, and I will parent you, and I will be your God, and you will be my child. This is the way your Savior loves you. He sees it all, and he says, bring it on. That is good news, because some of you think that the way that you have to deal with God is the way that you deal with the world. And God says, ain't no love out there like this love. I desire you and I delight in you. That's why his love is so good and so profound. Not only is he serving and washing, but he's doing this fully aware of the darkness that's in the hearts of those people, and he does it anyway. The last thing we see about the love of Christ is that it is transformative. You know, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, go and do likewise. Go and wash each other's feet. I mean, I'm just like, really, man? Do you, have you seen his feet, doc? But he says, go and wash feet. And he doesn't mean just physically wash feet. You know what he's saying? He's saying, go and love people this way. Well, what way, Jesus? This way. You're not moved away by darkness. You're not intimidated by what they struggle with that you will serve and serve and give and give and love and love. And when I hear that, I'm thinking, man, that is hard because there are some unlovable people out there. And you know what Jesus is saying? You cannot give that type of love if you have not first received that type of love. Have you noticed the beauty of the passage? He does not start with telling the disciples Go and love, go and love, go and love. That's not how he starts. He starts by loving them. He starts by washing them. And he says, when my love comes upon you, therein lies the power to move out and love people. His love for you is transformative. If there is someone in your life that you struggle to love, you want to know what Jesus is saying, let's take this back a few steps. Do you know how I love you? Do you know your sins and your treason against me? Do you know that your debt against my father is far greater than the debt that any other person owes you? Do you know that I have canceled your debt? You're free, son or daughter, to go and do likewise. And so when we're struggling with loving someone horizontally, Jesus says, come back and rest in my love vertically and be emboldened to go out. That's my prayer for us and for you all tonight that you would make much of Christ 
because he is loving you faithfully. That you would make much of Christ. He sees your sins and loves you the same. That you would make much of Christ. He is commanding you to go out in love, but he himself is giving you the power and the ability to do it. And it's because he first loves you. What a beautiful Savior. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would rest in your love. Would you make it concrete by your spirit and by your word? We've talked a lot about the way your word works, and it will work even when I sit down. And so my prayer is that for that person who is struggling with sin and guilt and shame, that your word and your spirit would be working upon them, saying, did you just not hear? My disciples betrayed me, and I knew they would do it, and I did not withhold affection. Dear son or daughter, do you think that I would love you differently? Father, may this be true, and may we embrace and believe the gospel for Christ's sake.